Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, Leviticus chapter 22, so we're working our way through. And uh, this is handling holy things and giving acceptable offerings. That's what this uh, message is focused on this morning. We're going to be looking at the priest and the offerings first in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, that'd be great. Verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. Say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. So we're reading about the priests not being unclean around these holy things. And so the question is, what were the holy things? What is he talking about, the holy things? There's a hint in those three verses uh, that we read this morning. First of all, it mentions the holy things are of the children of Israel, and also that they're dedicated to the Lord. So what would the holy things be? It would be the animals for sacrifice, the grain, uh, the baked unleavened cakes. Uh, it could have been also been the money, the shekels of the sanctuary. These are the things that the children of Israel were offering to the Lord and they were bringing it to the tabernacle. And so these, uh, these are the holy things. This is how the children of Israel worshiped the Lord God. And I want to bring up a reminder from last week, and, and Tim actually quoted this just earlier, but Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So thinking about that, we are a holy priesthood. Uh, what are we offering? It says that we are holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer up to the Lord? Well, you think about it. When we pray, we're praying to the Lord. We're offering prayer to the Lord. We're praising the Lord. That's, that's being offered to the Lord. Praising the Lord. Giving thanksgiving. Worship like we did earlier this morning. Uh, even our tithes and our offerings. These are the things that you and I offer to the Lord. And so the priests here in Leviticus, they were to treat those sacrifices that the children of Israel bring to the tabernacle that they were in charge of handling. The priests were supposed to handle it in a holy way and not profane. You say, well, what's profane? Profane, the word literally means common or uh, just ordinary. And so they were not to be in a state of being unclean. And so the question, if we think about that, the question is, do we treat the things that we offer to the Lord, prayer, worship, thanksgiving, tithes and offerings, those things that we offer to the Lord, uh, do we treat them as holy? Or are they just kind of common, ordinary aspect of our lives that we can take or leave? You know, it's just, just something we do once in a while when we feel like it. Are they important in our lives? Are they a priority? You know, prayer is one of the things that we offer up 
in worship to the Lord. And I want to share this graphic with you. Uh, a different pastor from Calvary Chapel sent this, and I, I thought it was really cool. Prayer, and th you think about this, prayer is not the flare gun of the desperate or room service for the indulgent. It's the confidence of the adopted. You know, sometimes we treat prayers, you know, we just pray when there's a disaster. We, we're panicking, oh, Lord, help me. And, you know, we're, we're, it's okay. You can pray that way. You can pray. We're to pray anytime. We're not to worry about anything, but pray about everything. So that's okay. We are to pray. But I know people that that's all they do. That's the only time that they pray is when they're in a panic. Or... I, we, we had we had someone staying at our house once, and we had a uh, we've had people stay with us quite often when we uh, you know throughout the years and uh, living with us for a while. And we had this couple, this family living with us, and and uh, we had a one of the things we, we would do is we would get together and pray together. And and so I remember this one lady that this one girl that was staying with us, and uh, she started praying, and it almost sounded like she was reading off like a grocery list or a to do or a honey list or you know honey to do list or something. It was like God, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I'm thinking, wow, you're just treating God like he's a butler, you know? And, and so some people, that's what they do. They treat prayer like it's room service, you know? Ding, ding, Lord, this is what I want, you know? Um, but for you and I, it's, it's, it's to be treated holy. It's what we offer to the Lord. So let's move on here in verses uh, 4 through 7. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has an admission of semen or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. So now we, we talked about the holy things earlier, but now we're looking at the uh, holy offerings what are the holy offerings? Well, again, there's some hints in chapter, uh, in verses four through seven. It's what the priest ate. What, what did the priest eat? That was a holy offering. Well, if you recall, the children of Israel would bring an animal to sacrifice to the Lord. And depending on which sacrifice it was, the, if it was the burnt offering, the entire animal would be offered to the Lord. But there was the peace offering, there was a sin offering, there was different offerings. And, uh, and what would, they would do is, is a portion of that sacrifice, it would all be offered to the Lord and then a portion would be given back to the priest to eat. It was his food. It was how the Lord uh, sustained the priests so they could minister uh, to him. The end of verse 7, it says it's his food. And so if you think of the picture uh, here, we have uh, the sacrifices being offered up to the Lord, and then he in turn gives to the priests to sustain them to, to continue ministering. So again, we are a holy priesthood. So... Uh, what is our spiritual food? What is our spiritual food? You know, it's interesting. In the Bible, food is almost literally food, okay? <laughs> it's, there's like, there's no, uh, you know, subliminal messaging. Food is almost always described in the Bible as food. However, there are a few places in the New Testament where food is used as a metaphor. One of the places 
is where Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 3.1. He says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. You know, your mother's going, oh, what a sweet baby. <laughs> it's cute when it's a baby, but not when it's an adult, right? He continues, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So solid food and milk were metaphors that Paul was using for his teachings. There's also a place in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. The writer says this, he's speaking to his audience, and then he stops and he says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles, the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And so milk is a metaphor for some very basic biblical concepts. The writer's saying, you know, you've got these little basic concepts down, you know, concepts like God is love or something like that. But meat, meat is a metaphor for God's word in its totality. You know, Jesus also spoke of food metaphorically also in uh, John chapter four, verse 34, he said this, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So what is our spiritual food? It's the word of God and it's the will of God. In other words, we offer up our worship to the Lord and he in turn speaks to us through his word and by his Holy Spirit. It's what sustains you and I, the believer. That's what keeps us going, is we, we, we worship the Lord and then we receive back from him as we read God's word or as he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about is communion and fellowship. You know, you always hear that about people's, you know, you, you, when you're, maybe you've talked to someone trying to witness to them, you say, hey, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's a relationship. Well, let me ask you this. Is your relationship with the Lord, is it a priority? Or is it a common, ordinary thing? You know, it is something that you just fit into your lives when it's convenient. And notice in these verses, if the priest somehow defile himself in some way, and there's, there's different ways described in those verses, he was unclean until evening. And he was to wash himself with water. And then, of course, when the sun went down, he'd be considered clean. And then afterwards, now he can partake of that, the, those holy offerings. Well, what's being pictured here? I think uh, this uncleanness is a picture of sin in the believer's life. You know, we become defiled through sin and it has a negative impact on our relationship with the Lord. You know that, I know that. Um, when that happens, we have to do exactly what the priest did. The priest had to be washed. How do we do that? 1 John 1, 9. Glad you asked. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you and I get washed. 
And not only is God's word metaphorically pictured as food, but even washing with water is a metaphor for what takes place when you and I read God's word and when we apply God's word, when we, when we personalize, it, personalize it and we obey it. You guys are probably familiar with this verse, Hebrews 5, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. At reading the word, you know, reading the word itself doesn't do anything, but when you and I read it and we take it and we apply it to ourselves and we start obeying it and we start putting it into practice, we start believing it and, and acting in belief by what God says, we're washing ourselves. We're washing ourselves with God's word. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I need a brainwash, right? It's just, you go through the day and, you know, after a while, at the end of the evening, it's like, man, I feel defiled. Man, I've, I've, my flesh has just gotten in the way or, or there's just been sin or something's just been going on. And it's time, you know, I've got to go back and recalibrate myself. And you go back to God's word. What does God's word say? You know, spend a little time with the Lord. We all need a brainwash once in a while. And man, that's just get back into the word of God. You know, what's interesting about that. When I'm in sin, that's the last thing I want to do is go back to God's word because it it's convicting, right? So I tend to stay away from it, right? But that's the very thing we need to do. Sometimes we stay out of fellowship when we're in sin because it's like, man, I just, I feel so terrible. I feel, well, guess what? We all feel terrible. We're all here. We've all blown it. We've all sinned. And so we come together here and uh, we're all hypocrites in one way or another, but we come together here and, uh, and we, we just fellowship and we encourage one another. And so it's so important. The enemy wants to isolate you, to keep you out of fellowship. Because if he can keep you out of fellowship, he can nail you. Yeah, you know, I always watch those, uh, the, the, those movies, the nature movies where they got the animals, you know, and there's a herd of deer and then there's this lion prowling. And, you know, he always gets the one that's straggling by himself in the back. Well, our enemy, the devil, does the same thing. He waits until we're isolated and then he pounces. And so it's so important to be in God's word and so important to be in fellowship. Well, there's a thing that's kind of interesting here. Why was the priest clean in the evening? I mean, what's significant about the evening? Well, if you know anything about the Jewish day, the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day started and ended in the evening. Our day, right, starts at midnight, right? You wake it up to midnight, and once that's the new day, right? Uh, but for the Jewish person, it started and ended at sunset. So if the priest at some point during that day became defiled, then he couldn't handle the holy things that the children of Israel offered. He couldn't partake of the holy offerings. He couldn't eat that food. Worship and communion between him and God was broken at that point. He had to be washed. And then once he was washed, man, and then the start of a new day, man, fellowship is once more restored. There's a passage in Lamentations that I always, I love this passage because I rely on it so often. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, it's, how many times has God given you and given me another start again? I've blown it. I've repented, Lord. Please forgive me. He forgives us. And then, man, there's a new day. There's a new opportunity to serve the Lord. God is so good to us. When we get to verse 8, 
It says, whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. So the priest, okay, he's in the tabernacle. He's ministering to the Lord. Uh, the, the offerings are being offered to the Lord. There's a portion that he's taking back and he's partaking. Beautiful picture of you and I, our relationship with the Lord. You know, we, we worship the Lord and then he gives back to us through his word and by his spirit. Um, but the priests there, that food that was provided from the sacrifices from the Lord, ultimately, that was the only food he was supposed to eat. Uh, there might have been other food around, but that was what he was supposed to eat. He wasn't just to eat any food, only the food provided by God through sacrifices. So for you and I, man, we have to be careful what we feed on. You might say, well, what are you saying by that? Listen, where do you go for advice and counsel? Is it godly counsel? Is it biblical? Is it God's counsel or someone else? We gotta be careful what we feed on. Now verses 10 through 13 describe who is per permitted to eat of the holy offerings because it wasn't just the priests. Look at verse 10. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat it. Uh, she may eat her father's food, excuse me, but no outsider shall eat it. So God here is laying down requirements of who can actually partake of those, those offerings. And it wasn't just the priest himself, but it was his family. It was those that were also dependent on him for their resources. It was meant for the priest and his immediate family. And then it goes through here and gives the qualifications of what, what actually constitutes the priest's immediate family. In other words, it was meant for the priest and his family, of course, but not just anybody. And for you and I, listen, the Lord has food for you. The Lord has food to give you through his word. And here's the thing that I think is really important. Don't try to sustain yourself on other people's food. Don't try to sustain yourself on other people's food. What do I mean? Listen, if you are only, if you're someone who only takes in what other people have gleaned, in other words, what other people have mined in the Bible, you know, I love God's word. You can dig in and you're reading and, and all of a sudden you see something, you go, man, I have never seen that before. You know, and the, maybe the Lord's speaking to you or he's, you know, guiding you in some way and, and he reveals something as you're reading God's word. It's like, man, thank you, Lord. Man, I, that's exactly what I needed today. And that's true because God's word is meant for you. God wants to speak to you through his, through his word. But if you're one of these people that just, you know, what did somebody else, they studied the word, what did they say in their commentary? What did they say in their, now commentaries are not bad, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if that's all that you're going to in reading, if you're just, you know, waiting for somebody to present a Bible study, like you come here on Sunday mornings. And, you know, I've, I've spent, well, I won't tell you how long, but I've spent a good portion of, of a few days digging through this and trying to develop a sermon, seeing, Lord, what are you wanting to say to your church this, this week? And I, I've spent, and man, the Lord's been speaking to me through it, and speaking to me through my own personal devotions and stuff. 
And, 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 and so if you're just coming here on Sunday morning and I've done all the digging and I'm mining and man, I've been blessed preparing. Sometimes it's convicting. In fact, quite often it's convicting when I'm studying. But it's all, there's also a blessing there too and there's some instruction. Well, I didn't realize this. And man, I just get built up by doing that. But if you come and you hear it, now you might, hopefully I'm, I'm praying that you get something out of the message today that the Lord speaks to you through it. But guess what? God has a word he wants to reveal to you personally. And man, that's so important to be digging into God's word yourself and seeing what is God, what do you want to speak to me? Because I, if you seek the Lord in that way, he will reveal himself to you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. So if you want, if you, if you're like, man, I, I feel like I, I just feel like I'm not really sensing the Lord's presence. Get into God's word. Spend time in His presence. He will reveal Himself to you. If you're if you're sincere about it, He will do it. Listen, the Lord has food for you. The Lord has food for you. Well, let's continue on here, verse 14. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. They shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. This is an interesting passage here. It'll be repeated, the theme will be repeated throughout the Old Testament. It's the precept or the concept of restitution. In other words, restoring what was taken and then adding 20% to it. Restoration uh, in this sense, or restitution I should say, it provides healing for the person who was the victim, but it also provides healing for the perpetrator of the crime. It's, so, it's such an important concept, restitution. So here we're seeing that we'll see it over and over again as we dig through uh, the Old Testament. Verse 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers in Israel, who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows, or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer it of your own free will, a male, uh, a male without blemish, from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a freewill offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bowl or a lamb uh, that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. So now we have what's an acceptable sacrifice or acceptable offering to the Lord. And the required sacrifices, whether they were for a fulfillment of a vow, you've made some commitment to the Lord and now you're fulfilling it and there was a sacrifice associated with that, or you're giving a free will offering, there's also a sacrifice associated with the free will offering or a sacrifice of a peace, peace offering. All these different sacrifices that were required, they had to be perfect and without blemish. The only exception here is the free will offering itself. 
it could, the lamb could have like one leg was longer than the other. Um, but otherwise, all the other sacrifices had to be perfect without blemish. Why was that such an important thing? Well, because Jesus Christ was typified in these sacrifices. The Lamb of God without spot or blemish. And so for you and I, offering, offerings to the Lord, God is worthy of our very best. I want to read something to you. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and follow along with it. It's in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through uh, 14. And what's interesting about this is this is the last chapter, or the last uh, book of the Old Testament. And uh, so, uh, of course, Leviticus was written early on in Israel's history. Malachi is written much later, uh, right before the New Testament period. And, uh, and so during all this time, uh, things kind of, you know, the priests got really slack. And, uh, and so uh, I want to read this to you here, what happened. Uh, verse 1. Actually, I'll just go to verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have, have you loved us? His answer, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 6. I'm in the wrong spot here. We could spend a lot of time going through Malachi, but we won't. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. See, they were, they were disobeying what God had said in Leviticus 22. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? And then his response is this, by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Here's the, he's trying to get across to them. You know, if you had a ruler or a president or some very important person and you were bringing something, you'd make sure it was the best. And God says, aren't I more worthy of that than a governor? Verse 9, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done with your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the door so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. How many of us, you know, we offer the Lord just, you know, our leftovers of whatever it is, our time, our talent, or our treasure. It's just, you know, hey, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I have something left, I'll, I'll offer it to the Lord, rather than offering them of the very best, of the first fruits. I have a story here. 
that uh, Tracy shared with us this Thursday. It's a story from Pastor Chuck Smith. He was a pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And he's relaying this to his fellowship. I can't, I can't talk like Pastor Chuck Smith, otherwise I'd try to imitate him, but I can't. I read a story one time of a farmer who came, into his wife, uh, came to his wife all excited, and as he sat down, he said, well, a cow just uh, cow calves this morning, and they're twins. I'm just so excited, I decided to give one of them to the Lord. So we'll raise them together, and when they get old enough or big enough to sell, then one of them is the Lord's, and whatever comes from it, we'll just give it to the Lord. So she said, oh, that's fine, honey. I think that's a wonderful idea. So she went out and looked at them, and she said, oh, that's great. Now, which, one is, which one's the Lord's? And he said, oh, it really doesn't make any difference. So a few days, uh, excuse me, so a few months went on, and he came in one morning, and he wasn't looking so good. And she said, what's wrong? He said, oh, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> Isn't that true, though? That's sometimes what we do in, in, our, in our relationship with the Lord, giving him the leftovers or what's not the best. It's funny, we have garage sales here at church, and uh, <clears throat> we do it once a year. And uh, we've had people bring stuff, and of course, you know, people in the fellowship bring stuff, and we sell stuff, and, and uh, sometimes people bring stuff and they say, hey, uh, we just want to donate this to the church, and whatever money you get from it, it's just, it's yours. And, you know, we're, we're gracious. We try to be as gracious as possible and thank the people for it. Um, it was a year ago, it was either last one or the one before, there was a, a guy who wasn't part of our fellowship. He called and he was speaking to my wife and he says, hey, I've got an old bed mattress I want to donate to your garage sale. And uh, man, I tell you, when that, I always get these red flags when someone wants to donate an old mattress. And I'm thinking, okay. So Teresa said, hey, this, this gentleman called and he wants to donate a mattress to our garage sale. Uh, he wants to know if you'll come pick it up. And I said, well, I said, tell him this. Say, we'll take his mattress, and if it sells, that's great. If it doesn't sell, he's got to come back and get it. He never ended up bringing the mattress. He's like, he just wanted to get rid of the mattress, you know? That's just, hey, it's like, hey, we'll give it to the church. Let them take care of it. <laughs> Let's move on here. Verse 24. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut. Nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Not from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these things as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them, and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. What is, what is this bruised, crushed, torn, or cut? Well, I did a little digging, and apparently these are four different methods of castration in the ancient world. So in other words, the Lord's saying, don't bring me any castrated animals. What, what, what's significant about that? Well, I think it's this. Don't offer up worship to the Lord what man has modified. Don't offer what man, man has modified. What am I talking about? Tradition. You know, <laughs> I love that movie. Um, tradition versus faith. All right. There's a lot of people that, they, that you know, worship is all it's traditional. It's man infused or man's laws 
versus God's laws. In fact, Jesus confronted the scribes and the Pharisees in his day because that's exactly what they would do. They had these, these little like shortcut laws or these little uh, you know, ways to get around giving to the Lord uh, and, and so that they would be enriched by it. And, uh, and the Lord said it, it was basically tradition. And the Lord basically told them that they were making the word of God of no effect through their tradition. And so when we're offering worship to the Lord, when we're, what we're offering to the Lord, you know, don't let it be tradition or this is just, you know, this is something we do or, or man's laws versus God's laws. You know, it, it needs to be from faith and it needs to be God's word, God's laws, not something that we, that we bring to the Lord. Well, verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Whether it is a cow or a ewe, uh, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And I'm like, well, what's significant about this? Only thing that I can really say or really see in this is even in the sacrificial system, and you know the sacrificial system, Levitical system was bloody, a lot of death, a lot of, a lot of cutting and killing of animals. It was very gruesome. But even in the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant, there's a sense of mercy. And, you know, sometimes we can get all caught up in, in, in uh, you know, offering things to the Lord and, you know, we get so uh, strict and structured and everything about it that sometimes we lose sight of mercy. And the Lord had that to say through Micah the prophet. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 of Micah. What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself? With what, excuse me, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? I almost started singing it because there's an old praise song we used to sing, uh, you know, with those exact words. But don't lose sight of mercy. Don't lose sight of, of just being humble in your, in your worship of the Lord and in your relationship with him. Moving on here, verse 29. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. On the same day it shall be eaten. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. You know, it's interesting. So here's the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The Lord says, you're offering it of your own free will. Listen, true thankfulness, it's not coerced. It's not contrived. It's a free choice. Have any of you been at a Thanksgiving dinner with family or friends or something, and then they go around the room, okay, we got to go around and say what we're thankful for, you know? And I remember as a kid, okay, um, I'm thankful for my bicycle. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's like I got to say, I got to be thankful for something. And, you know, it's, it was contrived. It was kind of forced. It was expected. You know, we had to all go around the room and say it. But that's not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is truly from your heart. What are you really thankful for? What, and you might say, uh, you know, um, I don't have much to be thankful for. Listen, the priest who offered the sacrifice of thanksgiving, you notice here in these verses, 
that the food, it was to be eaten that same day. It wasn't to be left over. It was to be fresh. He couldn't, he couldn't set it aside till the next morning. And uh, there's a concept here, and Daniel understood it. Chapter 6, verse 10 of Daniel. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He understood that concept of offering that thanksgiving the same day. And so he's, that was his custom. In fact, for him, it was three times a day, uh, early, always giving praise to the Lord, always thanking him daily. And so I mentioned that earlier. You know, what have you given to the Lord? What are you thankful for? I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to find things, what we're thankful for. I, you know, I got up this morning, man, look at this sun. It was just a beautiful day, another beautiful sunrise. I'm like, Lord, thank you for giving us another day to serve you, another day to love you, another day to live for you. Lord, what a blessing. You know, I thank you for every day. That's something that we can be thankful for every day, right? How about forgiveness from sin and another chance yet again to serve the Lord? Man, his mercies are forever new every morning. You know, we, we blow it, we, we, we do something, we, we confess our sins, we get back into the word of God, we, we're washed, and, and then God gives us another chance to be fruitful for him. That's something to be thankful for, man. Lord, thank you for forgiving me again. And it's the same thing I've done before over and over again, but thank you, Lord, you're such a merciful God. How about food to eat? You know, we take that for granted sometimes, but man, God supplies he gives you the job to do the food. He gives you the intellect to do the job, to, do, to, to, to earn the food. It all comes from him. That's something we can be thankful for every day. In fact, three times a day. For me, it's, it's more than three times a day. Um, I can be thankful for the food that I eat. Um, the job to work. You might say, yeah, but I've got a lousy job. Well, you know what? Thank the Lord anyways, because the alternative is much worse, right? No job, no money, no income, you know, then, then you're dependent on everybody else. Thank the Lord for your job. Thank the Lord for your loved ones around you. Sometimes we take for granted our friends and our family that are around us. I'm so thankful for each one of you that comes, this is part of your church, or, you know, this is your family. And, and man, I tell you, I, I'm thankful for every person that's here this morning. I'm thankful for you. You know, with being in Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, uh, probably a lot of you, more than anybody else, know what it means to take your health for granted. Because we see people that come through, you know, visiting Mayo Clinic with some of the strangest ailments and some diseases that people are scratching. They're like, really don't know what this is? And they got to do research to kind of figure out what's going on. Man, and, and, you know, we take our health for granted until something happens. Oh, man. Thank the Lord that you're here this morning and you're healthy. You're not keeling over. You're not, you know, thank the Lord for him. So we have so many things to be thankful for. And, you know, we can thank the Lord daily. In fact, we should thank the Lord daily. I, I would encourage you to get thankfulness it just as part of your daily, everyday thing, man. Just thanking the Lord. It's so important. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Thanking him continually. You know, the Bible describes 
what can happen to people who neglect to be thankful? It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says this, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we start not becoming thankful, we start, you know, we just get into this griping and complaining, and that's, that's our whole attitude is negative all the time. Our thoughts become futile and our hearts become darkened. There's such an important concept of thankfulness. I want to encourage you to be thankful. Thank the Lord. And you know, it's funny, as you start doing it, um, you know, there have been times when I couldn't sleep at night and maybe I've been stressed out about something. I'm awake at night and I'm like, man, I, and I just can't get back to sleep. I'll tell you one thing that does work is start thanking the Lord. Start thinking about things to be thankful for. And pretty soon it's like, man, I got so many, I could, I'm going to be up all night trying to thank the Lord, and then usually I end up falling asleep because I get back tired again. But, you know, once you start focusing on the things that Lord's blessed you with, it's like there's no end to it, is there? You can just thank Him on and on and on. And so being thankful is so important. Well, let's wrap this chapter up, verse 31. Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I, will, uh, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. You know, think about it. The children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. In the Bible, Egypt is, a, is, a, is symbolic of the world. And before Jesus Christ, before our relationship with the Lord, we were slaves to sin. We were, we were in bondage in Egypt, so to speak. But the Lord has delivered you and I out of that. And, you know, he's not only our Savior, but he's our Lord. He's the Lord of our lives. And so he of anybody deserves our best our best in everything. What we offer to him, it should be the best. And we should not neglect what he bring, gives back to us, and that's his word. Um, you know, this is how God's, this is the main way God communicates to us, is through his word. And so, man, to neglect that is to neglect your relationship with the Lord. So I encourage you to be in the word and to be in fellowship and in prayer and thankful to the Lord. Why don't you stand up and let's just respond to the Lord in prayer.